Hello everyone, our today's guest is uh, Karthik. He is the co-founder and <laughs> CEO of uh, Envision, which enables blind and visually impaired people to have access to visual information. And uh, that's pretty cool, that's really cool. Karthik been recently really all over the news and everywhere. Uh, has close ties to the Dutch Prince. Yeah, just a great guide in general and uh, with a great mission. So yeah, thank, thank, thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. We, we go for classics. We start off with your origins. Well, what was your family like? Are, are your parents also like uh, business people or? Um, yeah, so like my family, uh, I think have been very enterprising your family. Um, like or at least that sort of the attitude that they have both had uh, a lot. So like my father was somebody who didn't have a lot of education. Uh, he, you know, like, you know, so he came from a family of six people and he was like the eldest you know, son. So uh, he had to start earning like very early in his life to be able to take care of you know, like his you know, family. So I, he was some you know, 16 or something where he stopped his education and just started to work. But he was always like super intelligent. So he literally started his life by digging, uh, you know, trenches uh, when people had to you know, sort of do a, sort of constructions of uh, these your transmission, you know, uh, sort of towers where the, where the, you know electricity passes through. Mm -hmm. So he literally started like from the bottom, and then but with this you know sheer sort of perseverance he was able to you know, overcome every obstacle and when he ended up ended uh, you know like his career he was like a vice president of the company uh, which was you know like a very international company so for me that's always been very inspirational where uh, i could you know see that it's not about the education or a degree that matters but it's about intelligence and uh, that attitude for execution i think that's something that i, I you know like was able to sort of you know observe you know my dad you know, do a lot uh, and I think that's always been something that um, you know the in, so, sort of inside me instigated an entrepreneurial spirit and I think it's the same with my mom like you uh, even though she was not out there you know digging holes I, I've, I don't think I've ever seen my mom just stay at home and just be, be by herself like she's always trying to you know sort of like learn something else she's trying to you know, teach new things or so you know she's you know, is either teaching you know like yoga or like she's teaching you know like Hindi to people. So there's always you know, something that she's doing. Uh, so it's always been, yeah. So it was always being at a house where just you know, doing a nothing was not an option. Like you always need to be out there, you know, going for something. So I think that's the kind of environment that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And were you the only child of the family, or were there more? No, I, I was have an elder brother. Um, he was, uh, or at least when we were you know, growing up, he was the more like a creative one in the family. So he was the artist, and he will you know, paint and uh, stuff like that. So I used to give him a hard time at school because all the teachers would be like, you know, like you are doing well in school, but this guy is not. But he had a lot of of, of creative uh, outlets, which I also I think always aspired to. Well, after school, you started the bachelor's with the industrial engineering, which yeah. I think more or less kind of related to design as well and like uh, also creative thinking a bit. In a sense, yeah, I, uh, but I think not entirely, like it's not as you know, creative as you know, design, which is what I afterwards you know, went on to you know, like to pursue. I think I remember after school in India, uh, after you finish your school, you need to make a choice of which is the thing you want to do as your bachelor's. And uh, I had a really hard time you know, figuring out what is it that I, I actually want. Um, but something I think I knew deep inside me was that I always was good at you know, problem solving. I think that's, or at least that's what I, you know, I got more excited f 
from like if there is some problem and if there is a mathematical solution to it or if there is a physical solution to it i think that's something that really excited me so i just started really looking at which are um the pathways where your problem solving is at the heart of it and industrial engineering was you know, like one of those where it's basically you sort of are using statistics and optimization algorithms to to solve a problem but yeah once I, once i got there i found that it was not really as you know like rosy as i thought it would be uh because you are really trying to so industrial engineering was all about optimizing something that's already been built right so you have a factory or you have some sort of a machinery already in place and then how do you optimize it how do you optimize the best a route something should take how do you optimize the best your manufacturing a process that is already in place so it was always about optimizing something which is a type of your problem solving part that i'm most excited about is when you need to you know, build something like new um and i think for me that's when you know the whole aspect of often design became a lot more interesting because it's not about just optimizing what already exists but solving a problem that there isn't a solution for and then you have to build a solution for it from scratch and i think that's when i sort of understood that industrial engineering is not what i want to do so that was uh, you know like you know like four years you know so 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 like that was the outcome of the four years of my you know bachelor's uh but i think yeah that's still a good outcome because at least after that i had the clarity of exactly you know sort of what is it that i want to do so it it was just your design is what i was uh, interested in i remember uh i was in like sort of like the final years of my engineering and i saw this documentary called objectified mm-hmm. uh it's a, it, it it's a really fascinating documentary it's about industrial design and how stuff is made so they talk about how people make a chair and you know stuff like that i think that's for me was a trigger thing that oh this is it like this is what i want to do i want to build something uh, from scratch uh and uh I remember then I immediately almost within a span of a week I I you know I went down this industrial design as a rabbit hole and by then I'm like this is it this is what I want to be but then I'm like okay but sort of like now what I cannot just become a designer so I started to you know look at you know what is it that you need to become a designer so for me the next logical thing was okay if I do a masters in industrial design that's probably the way to do it so I just started to you know look at all of the universities that you have you know like you need to apply to and i found that all of these universities always ask for a portfolio of your work if you want to apply to a design study and i had just finished you know 4 years of engineering i didn't have a portfolio of anything so i just had a bunch of uh, engineering you know like reports and so i was at that point both you know so happy at the fact that i knew exactly what i want to do but also like sad cuz i didn't like but i don't have to what it takes to enroll in a course to do this um so for me that was the point where i'm like okay, I'm, i need to build a portfolio that's the that's the next thing so i just really started to you know like look for you know ways that i can build my portfolio so i just started applying to all the of like design studios in india saying that hey can i you know work with you and i will build my portfolio when i'm when i'm you know working with you but all the design studios asked for a portfolio mm-hmm. so i went to a bunch of interviews and called a bunch of them mm-hmm. until there was this one guy who said okay I, you know like i'll take a chance on you mm-hmm. uh so that was for me like i think that you know like lucky break where this guy who took, you know like he took a chance on me uh his name was shanawaz uh he became like a mentor to me then he sort of took me in, in his wings for like a year and a half mm-hmm. and in that span i was able to build a build a portfolio enough to apply to a university mm-hmm. 
and that university was the yeah, TU Delft here in yes. the Netherlands. Yes. It's yeah, pretty tough one is because it's like the best one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so really yeah, for me that was the thing. Like if I want to do it, I, I need to do it where it's you know, like worth it. Um, so yeah, like I really picked a few of like the top universities. I know I wanted to come to sort of Europe because I felt like the way you know, design a language is you know, taught here, I think is you know, sort of is the is the, is you know, like a kind of you know, design that I wanted to aspire to. So I, I really just applied to like the top five, uh, you know, like schools in, in like Europe. Mm-hmm. So I was you know, fortunate that I was able to get into Delft. What they do is because during the two-year masters, you actually solve so many of like problems in form of, of a project that you in yourself build a confidence that okay, I can now solve a problem because I've solved you know, four problems in the past and I've you know, come up with a solution that works. Uh, I think that's the biggest you know, takeaway for me was from the whole your masters as a course is the confidence boost. Like now, like you know, before I had a piece of paper which said I'm a designer, I was always, I, I think I, I also was able to you know, solve problems, but then I just didn't have the confidence that you know, the you know, like solution that I'm putting forth is the best you know, solutions because I used to internally feel that I'm not a designer yet. Mm-hmm. So that confidence I think uh, was something that I was able to you know, sort of often get. Uh, and yeah, I think uh, if you think about it, it's all about your confidence doing anything, right? Even in entrepreneurship that you probably know, it's, a, it's always about that you fake it till you make it. Yeah. Uh, so if you have the confidence that something will go through and I think in, in, sort of, in, I think in 90% of the cases, it's all about having that you have your confidence to do it. But uh, before we jump into the whole, I guess, the that origin story of the Envision. What kind of made you love the whole com- com- combination of design and AI? Because it's something like in a way different, but also kind of like strange yeah. to combine. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a whole bunch of you know, factors that uh, have fascinated us. So of course, you know, like I've told you, the aspect that fascinates me about your, about your design itself. Uh, but AI, artificial intelligence, has been this word that has been you know, sort of thrown around for like a long time. It, it, it's not a new concept at all. Um, you know, most of, of you know, sci-fi is just about AI. But it's always been fascinating uh, uh, in terms of a understanding what is human intelligence. Because if you think a baby is, is not intelligent, but then at some point you're like, okay, now you're an intelligent human being. So for me, that whole aspect of what is intelligence has been very you know, fascinating. And I think the way to understand what is intelligence uh, is if you are able to recreate intelligence. So is it is intelligence just you know like your know, code? Is it just a complex code that somebody has you know, written out saying that okay this is how intelligence will evolve and that's how it's happening, or is there something that's much more you know divine than that to intelligence? So for me these you know deep sort of all the questions were always what is you know, fascinating. And I think that's when I started going into the depths of uh, sort of what AI can do. Mm-hmm. And I think when I was doing that, I think that's when the whole uh, you know, deep learning as a field was becoming very fascinating. So for the longest time, you had you had you only had you sort of had like machine learning, mm-hmm. but this you know, deep learning was a new aspect of you know, of sort of auto machine learning, where they were actually using neural algorithms to build AI, which means they were actually attempting to replicate how your, your brain is processing things to 
build it for example like earlier like if you know when people used to build ai and they have to have an ai recognize a ball right for example they will you know, sort of you know, sort of feed the ai information about the ball well they say okay a ball is something spherical a ball is something that has stripes in it a ball is something so they will you know, you know teach the ai what is a ball and then the ai then will be able to detect a ball so that's how the old uh, you know ai used to your know, function but then this new you know, fascinating you know, aspect of ai which only has been around for the last you know, sort of you know, five to six years is where you don't you know, teach ai what a ball is you just you know, show ai 100 images of a ball and you let the ai you know, sort of figure out what it thinks is a ball so it will just look at 100 images and then it will understand okay i think i know it's the edges it's the contrast it's the shape like the your know, ai will do its own uh, understanding of it and then when you show it uh, like a ball it will be able to recognize it much more accurately because you didn't your feed the information the ai was able to extract it by itself because that's exactly how your know, humans operate right like you know like if you have to learn what a ball is you will not say okay a ball is a spherical object circle like you will just know by looking at 100 pictures of a ball that this is a ball a bit more complicated example would be maybe a cat right like you know what a cat looks like irrespective of whether it's a big cat fat cat thin cat you instinctively know something is a cat or not because you have seen a hundred cats in in like at at no point did you make a mental you know note that okay a cat has two ears you know it has whiskers you never did that because you, that's not how a you know, human sort of all your mind works it just you know, sees a hundred things and it makes a mental sort of like model of So you know, this is what this thing is like, and that's basically what is now happening with AI, where it's no longer about you know, feeding specific information. It's just let the AI you know, figure out exactly what makes that thing that thing, uh, which for me was very fascinating, um, because of course these algorithms have been around for a while, but the problem was you know, twofold. One was that until recently we didn't have access to your know, data, which is very important for this AI to learn. right so for an ai to be able to recognize a cat it needs 100000 or more images of a cat if you want the accuracy to be really good but earlier if you want to find 100000 images of a cat it was very difficult but now if you want to find 100000 images of a cat you go to instagram just to hashtag cats you have a million images of a cat so now because of uh, your smartphones your data has become abundantly available which was not the case earlier so if all of this data now can be used to your teach ai stuff so now if a ai has to to learn what's a cat like people don't have to look for images of cat it's very easily and very abundantly available um and at the same time the another thing because of how, because of like of the moore's law the processors have become you know faster and faster so earlier what would you know like need like a you know like an array of you know like gpus for you to compute you can now do it on your phone so the processing power that is sort of needed to build such complex ai is now becoming more and more accessible so i think it's a combination of these two things is the reason why ai is now become like the hot thing because now it's become you know like incredibly more accessible to people and i think that's when it starts to get fascinating because you can just build sort of all layers on top of this and uh, and the applications of it becomes so you know, boundless and i think it becomes boundless in a way where it can automate a whole bunch of things that humans are currently doing which they don't have to so at that point in life it was i guess partly that your fascination about the topic yeah. but also partly 
you were kind of feeling that you were in the right time and the right place as well, with all the factors being just right in front of you. Yeah. So I guess at that point you were thinking that this is it, I'm going to work on this, either in a company or start my own startup. I think deep down I always just knew I want to start my own company at some point. Mm -hmm. But I think I've always had excuses to give myself that mm -hmm. I don't want to start it. So I know because um, so like my co-founder and I, we like know each other since um, you know, like sort of like bachelor days, right? Mm -hmm. We used to always talk about having a startup together and we will always aspire to Steve Jobs and you know, all of these people and we'll just you know, watch their talks on loop and we knew that that's what we aspire to. But so we never had the balls to, you know, do it because, you know, it takes a real you know, sort of sort of the courage to take the risk, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I always had excuses after I did my, you know, like, you know like engineering. I'm like, okay, I think I need more experience before I start something. So I'm gonna go do a job. And then once you have a job, you're like, okay, I think I need a master's degree so that I can actually be a professional before I start something. Then you get a master's degree. And towards the end of my master's degree, I again had had a new excuse. I'm like, okay, I think I need a bit more experience before I start my company because then I then I know how things work. But then I think that's when like a voice inside me said like stop like you know there was there will always be a reason not to take the risk uh, you'll always have some excuse that you can you know, give because of this you didn't start but yeah like if you do ever have to start it's always going to be a leap of your faith it's never going to be ideal ideal conditions for you to, to you know like to start so if you do have to take a leap of faith at some point you might as well just take it now. So I think that's when um, I'm like, okay, I, I really want to build build a company. And yeah, I think uh, it was also the combination was right. Like I was very fascinated with AI. I was very fascinated with what, you know, what sort of like design can do. And I could see very meaningful applications of AI that can improve the lives of people as of now. So it's, it's not something in the distant future. You can start making impact starting today. And for me, that was very fascinating. It was still quite broad, the, the topic itself. Like, it was not clear, like, I'm gonna do the visual impairment. Yeah. What was the, the click? Was it the presentation you gave in uh, India? Yeah, so that was uh, one of, you know, like, of, of sort of like a trigger points, uh, you know, definitely. So when I was in India and I was giving this talk to a school for the blind, and there were a bunch of, like, blind kids, and they were just looking to understand what is your design. And I went into the whole thing about how your design is solving a problem. And then I asked them a question, okay, if you guys have to solve a problem tomorrow, what will you do? And then all the kids in the room were like, I want to be more independent, you know, like I want to go to school on my own, I want to hang out with my friends, you know, like for me, just being independent is something that I really, really want to do. And it was like such a strong emotion they all wanted to experience. And that really stuck with me that the whole interaction, because I felt like, hey, I'm supposed to be a designer, somebody who is just like solving your know, problems. Why am I not doing something about it? So I really you know, picked that as my you know, sort of like research for my thesis. I'm like, okay, I, I want to understand what is independence for brand and visually impaired people. Like, what do they mean when they say the word independence? And that's when I sort of unfurled that you know, thread by doing more of like research and interviews and observations. Is that for a lot of them, independence always meant access to information. And because we live in a visual world, we've built stuff in a visual way. Uh, their inability to access that information is what is causing a dependencies in their life. And uh, I believe that dependency could be reduced if that visual information could be made accessible. And I saw that AI stage at which it is right now can do that. It cannot fully replace your eyes uh, as of yet, but it can do enough to give you enough information of you know, what's around you so that you can be a bit more independent than what you're today. So that's how I started this whole thing. Mm -hmm. How are you able to convince your partner in crime, the, the Karthik? <laughs> 
I think it was like a slow you know burn I think it was not that he needed you know convincing but I think we started out we were both very uncertain as to what this thing is going to be right because this was still my thesis I was still a you know like you know like you're like you know so like a student and he had a like a really high paying job in Bangalore right like a software engineer in Bangalore is like very high uh, you know like you know, so like in demand kind of a role so but then he and me we always used to work on sort of all the projects together and stuff so i said hey i'm trying to you know do this i know you do a lot of ai stuff can you help me to build your prototypes you know just to experiment with you know like what's possible with ai uh specifically with image recognition and stuff like that uh so he just started helping me as a because uh, this was supposed to be a project right we'll just you know, build up build an app we'll build a prototype we'll you know, show it around and that was sort of you know like how we got into it, it, it there was no serious you know, commitment but i think it just got increasingly exciting with every iteration of the app when we had the very first version it was like super basic like you'll say this is a plate this is a cup mm-hmm. you know like very basic stuff which was very uh, fascinating that it can do that but then when we took it to the users they were like yeah it's nice that you there is a cup but then it doesn't help me in any ways because probably i'm the one who put the cup there so mm-hmm. it you know, like it's cool but it, it it doesn't help so then we started asking them questions okay which information it you know that you would find helpful if i say you know like it's your cup is that helpful if i say it's like a red cup is that helpful uh, then then we started to sort of including insights from the users and the iterating on the app on top of that and i think towards the end of my thesis we had reached a point where we had a prototype of the app which when i started just showing around to people they were like very very fascinated by it. they were like this is something that's actually amazing and it's something that I'm, i actually want to use every day and something that i'm i'm okay to you know pay for so i think it was at that point we both sort of got that in, in, in your know, indication that okay we should start this cuz you know there is uh, you know this is what we've always wanted to do right to be at the cutting edge of technology to be able to you know, help people with something that we build so we both kind of like knew that this is something that we want to do but yeah like it was still a, a lot of uncertainty right like we didn't know how do we get funded for it we didn't know if this will ever make you know, like sort of off sort of, sort of like revenue if it will make enough revenue for both of us to be able to sustain ourselves there were a whole bunch of uncertainty and all, and, and 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 a lot more for him because i was already here mm-hmm. i was a student so i sort of had a better understanding but he had just gotten sort of like married it was like 2 3 months after his marriage and i'm like hey do you want to start this company together <laughs> so there was a lot more i think of of a decision making on him but he gave me confidence when he's like okay i'm just going to you know book a flight i'll come there we'll apply to an incubator together and we'll see how it goes so he you know flew out you know 3 months after his marriage uh, his wife is very upset with me for that uh, then he came here and then we just applied to Yes, Delft uh, incubator, and they were like, "Yeah, come on in. We will, you know, incubate you." Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I think that's when the difficult decisions uh, started being made. Because I still remember the phone call. I, you're like, I, you're like, I made to him, um, and as soon as you're like, you're like, he picked up the call. He started talking about how he just bought this new your mattress, which is like super expensive, but it's you know worth the investment because he, you know, it's amazing for his sleep. and i was like yeah okay uh, i need you to book a flight for tomorrow and come to the netherlands <laughs> so he literally was never able to you know, sleep on that mattress that he bought which was like incredibly expensive mattress and yeah when he moved here he had to you know sell that the incubation i guess that that, that was like the, the normal startup process there yeah yeah uh, so the incubation was very helpful because yeah we were two immigrant founders to know a lot about you know the way stuff goes on here so i think that way it was very helpful to know or at least to have some sort of a guidance into 
okay here's how you incorporate a company here's how you pay taxes and the things the those small basics that people don't really talk about i think that that, that way it was very very helpful to have some sort of uh, ecosystem here to help you with those uh, early uh, your stuff and yeah i think uh, then slowly we just started to get into kind of it so it's just two of us with a laptop we will be working from all over the place just trying to build the first version of the app that we can put out and then slowly start to monetize it uh we took a loan because uh, yeah we couldn't pay ourselves our salaries as of yet so i think those are the kind of things that uh being in an incubator was very really helpful for us with the app prototype mm. were you like waiting for like the perfect version before releasing it or did you just put it out there and like started working on top of it uh i think we were trying to go perfect it a bit in the beginning but yeah like we we also i think were aware that yeah we should not wait it for, we, we should not wait for it to be too perfect because they say if it's too perfect at launch then it's too late so we were very really okay with launching it way pretty early on even if it's very really, you know like uncooked and i think uh, in you know like hindsight i think we it was a good decision that we launched it in, in, when it was uncooked because then the users were able to offer us very good your know, feedback early on and steer the app in you know, like a direction that it just sort of off like needed to go because it's very different when you're getting your know, your feedback from your know, 15 people which is what i was talking to when i was building the app here but then when you put the app out it's overnight like a thousand people and then you are actually able to uh then it becomes a bit more objective the kind of stuff that people are asking for so if you if you know then you can actually see you know it's not just in their asks it's also in their actions as to which functions are they could be actually sort of after using a lot more so i think those of your know, decisions become a lot more objective when you actually launch and i think uh, that's something that uh, uh, i'm happy with it and i think the other thing is that we also put the subscription in the app pretty early on so just within a couple of months we were also very uncertain if the app is at a point where people are okay to pay for it because we was because that's the very difficult question to know is this an app people are going to pay for and if yes how much mm-hmm. so we just put a price tag and we put it out and then very surprised that within the first you know 2 hours we had over 100 subscribers uh, so i think in hindsight now those feel like very really good decisions but at that time yeah, it was like a nerve wracking decision because we were very very uncertain and then another cool thing happened you went to the US hey it was really uh, out of the blue actually so uh, we launched our android app because uh, the because uh, as soon as we had our ios app and it started blowing up a bit amongst the brand usually impaired users a bunch of android people like hey what about us we didn't have the bandwidth to build for android because <laughs> it was you know kanan building the app all from himself by scratch so we hired a bunch of interns and we were like okay can you build a build, a, build like an android app for us and there was so many st- struggles in building that android app cuz yeah uh, that's a whole another like rant on how you're developing on android is is a nightmare mm-hmm. uh but yeah we just sort of went through all of that and then we did launch our android app uh, somehow by the end of the year and then that started to actually have a, have a lot of traction and then all of a sudden we got a nomination for the google a play award for the best accessibility app and that's when we figured out that a bunch of you know blind people who are working at google have been like using our app pretty actively and they have been the ones who have been in, in internally advocating about our app um so when we got nominated we were not if if we'll actually win it because we were very excited just because of the nomination but then they offered to sort of off fly you out uh, to their office in california and doing the google io they have like a big award ceremony and stuff and we were able to you know, sort of off uh, win the google play award so that was for us a very legit kind of a, like a moment right because 
yeah you're building app you're getting subscribers but then getting a recognition from google that okay you you guys are actually doing something good for us that was a very big sort of you know validation point so they're okay we are probably on, on the right path but i think the bigger and the more interesting aspect was that they were now willing to open up a lot more of sort of of doors for us internally at, at, you know at, at google and i think the most helpful one was the one which, which was with the team working on the glass mm-hmm. because the whole you know, uh, smart glasses thing has been a very fascinating topic for us as well ever since we launched the app people like one of the early feedbacks is like can i sort of like use it without having to hold a phone in my hand mm-hmm. can i put it can you put it on a, on your on like wearable cameras and stuff so i think that's been something that people have always asked us but yeah like we 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 were very sure early on that we don't want to start developing our own hardware because you know like hardware is hard uh and i don't have expertise he doesn't have expertise and we just didn't want to make a you know like a like you know like a, like capital intensive effort into building your smart glasses especially since i knew that smart glasses and i strongly believe that they're going to become a, become a ubiquitous thing uh, pretty you know soon so i didn't see a point in us making our, our own smart glass but then we immediately started to order your know, smart glasses from everybody else who was making it so every month we'll order one do a like you know like a feasibility study on it and we'll make a decision whether this is a smart glass that can actually have envision a software in it or not and it wasn't always just a technical you know, a feasibility so of course that was the, the you know, super important that it actually has a processor that is strong enough to do all the ai operations that we want to do uh but it was also uh, like a feasibility from an end user standpoint mm-hmm. where a blind person is not feeling stigmatized when they have these glasses on their face and they're out and, and you know like they're out and about like it shouldn't make them feel like a alien or um, you know like a robot or something so that was like a hard combination to find like a processor that's good but also it shouldn't be big and bulky because of the because of the processor in there and we're really struggling with it so the whole you know, google thing was very opportune for us at that point because then they introduced us to the google glass team and they said hey there's going to be a second edition of the of the glass and uh, then for us that was very fascinating and they offered us early access to that and they gave us a prototype saying that okay yeah, here's a prototype you, you can do your feasibility to see if it works and when we did that feasibility we were able to do all the processing proper uh, stuff that we wanted to do on the glasses but also the form factor of your sort your, your of the glasses were in a way where it was not too stigmatizing for a blind person to actually have it on their face so we had that combination and then we sort of struck a partnership with them where we will jump purchase their hardware and we jump sort of we a flash it entirely with up with up with our software and then we offer that as a product to end users as a product of envision how much of it was luck you think yeah i think a big 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 chunk of it is luck mm-hmm. uh, I, especially like you know you know like in hindsight it always sort of how you feel like you were at the right time at the right place and that's mm-hmm. how things happen i think yeah there is of course a bit aspect of you know like your sort of like luck in any success story i think but i think uh, but you have to uh, uh, something that i so strongly believe that you need to be lucky to be successful but you have to be you're prepared for the luck like we already had to put in the effort into building that android app without expectation of anything for us to be lucky enough to come to a point where you know, google was building a second edition of the glass and we were invited for it so if we didn't put in that effort in building that android app uh, and all of that i think that wouldn't have happened so i think it's yeah uh, of course 
uh, it's about being at the right place at the right time but also being you're prepared for when the opportunity is like knocking at the door you are you know sort of off off there to open the door and be like yeah let's go and then fast forwarding to more recent times from there it went well you were developing more you started hiring more people got the funding etc things like that and uh maybe more about the team part i think as well because you have still growing pretty large team and it's still growing and it's like also located internationally and things like that uh, but what i see is like uh you have pretty good culture in the, in the team i think that's the part you know i think that the part i know the least about um because everything else i think i had some experience with i have experience with how to you know design things how to you know build things uh how to put it out i think those are the kind of things that i have but you know how to you know manage a team is something that i've never done or at least at, at least a team of you know, you know like the scale out of business of this scale so it's pretty much a learning you know, sort of you know, process uh even for me uh and i think it will it will be uh, always because for me it's every time like the more the team increases it's always going to be something that i always have to like learn on how to you know uh, sort of like evolve the management style uh, to fit the needs of the team at that point mm-hmm. so i think that's something that i am still sure coming to, to terms with because i genuinely believe that's not my forte mm-hmm. uh, that's not really what i think i'm the best at managing people i i don't think that is true and i don't think that'll ever be true but i think um there was something i read very interesting somewhere uh I, I, and i and i you know like i forgot who it was for but it said that the best you know, manager are people who don't want to be you know, be, be a manager um which i believe is very true because i think if uh you are setting out with intention of being a manager i think you do tend to focus a lot more on the management part but if you are just being like, okay i don't want to be a manager but i am right now the best person to manage this team then you're a lot more focused on the goal and the place you want the team to be at mm-hmm. uh which i think is the you know like you know like the difference so yeah like i've never actively you know like looked into how to to manage people or how you know what kind of a team that we want to build mm-hmm. i think it's been very organic cuz i think we have been very much sticking to like the basics or your know, first principles of your know, of how to run a company we we don't overly complicate things we don't put like processes in place mm-hmm. we just stick to very you know, basic sort of off the fundamental things that i believe you know like should be the way things should be done like you know you don't have to be a dick for example that's like the thing like don't do anything that you don't want being awfully done to you and it, there has been a transparency has been a big thing in the culture so we are always very upfront and open about how are we doing on the business side how are we doing on the investment side uh and you know like what can they expect in the coming months what is not going well in the coming months i think that kind of transparency is something that we always you know sort of want to encourage and then it becomes a two way thing where i can be very honest about your feedback to anybody in the company if somebody is not doing a good job we can we can sort of have that kind of conversation very upfront and it can also work the other way around where if anybody thinks i'm not doing a good job or i did something that shouldn't have been done they always feel that they can always approach me and always inform me of that as well mm-hmm. so i think that kind of a two way sort of transparency is something that i'm trying to build but which i'm not sure if that's the best way to run a company because that's just the way that i'm doing it mm-hmm. but it might come to bite me in the ass uh, at at some point 
but yeah so far i think that's my approach just sort of to keep things just simple mm-hmm. if it feels right do it if it doesn't feel right don't do it how would you describe the future of your vision and like in 10 years when you're building your dreams you definitely got to build very ambitious dreams mm-hmm. uh, i think that's something that i strongly believe in so I, yeah so i think uh, the idea of where envision will be just be in you know sort of like 10 years i definitely see it as the software uh, that's underneath all the cameras uh sort of around the world i think we can be the pioneers in building the state of the art ai technology that can get any kind of information from images and have it be applied in your meaningful ways mm-hmm. and especially if stuff like smart glasses and your and your wearable cameras become a ubiquitous thing which i strongly believe will um i think then our ai being the sort of the layer you know inside of all of these uh that can actually uh, extract information from everything that that's around you mm-hmm. and be be able to offer them to you in a, in a, in a meaningful way so that it's no longer just enabling your vision but it's also enhancing your vision where you can actually do a lot more than you otherwise are able to do so it's actually able to enhance your capability as 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 a human being mm-hmm. i think that's where i see envision as so it's the os for all the cameras around the world what kind of advice you would give to any like aspiring entrepreneurs do things uh instead of not doing them i think that's a very cuz most people i talk to they all are always on the edge but then very afraid to join the sort of you know take the leap uh, that they need to take and i think th- those are the kind of people that uh, i really feel like just going and giving them a nudge and you know figure things out like you can spend hours and hours on you know sort of often deciding what's the best way to do something and then you know because that's that's what i i relate to right like there's always an excuse not to do something um so i really want people to you know do things and then you know instead of just thinking about them i think that kind of you know like a nudge uh is very very difficult to find but uh yeah if you think you want to start a company and or if you think you need to do something about your company to take it to the next level yeah you should just don't do it instead of you know always thinking about it like if it feels right in your gut then it's probably going to be right and even if it's not at least you sort of you're sort of like did it instead of you know you're being like being like a 90 year old person and you're thinking if i would have done it what would have happened so at least you don't have a regret at the end of it so that's that's what i would probably want thanks for tuning in more episodes are on the channel don't forget to like subscribe and share and as always 10 re out